Welcome to Mariner's Church Weekend Message Podcast, inspiring people to follow Jesus and fearlessly change the world. Discover your purpose and get connected by visiting marinerschurch.org or click the link in the show notes. Welcome to Mariner's. If we have not met yet, my name's Eric. I'm the senior pastor here. I'm glad you are with us today. I wanna share something real quickly before we jump into the message. Last weekend, I was able to teach at Mariner's Oceanside. And then on Monday, I was able to meet with some of our outreach leaders at Mariner's Santa Ana. And I just wanna say, I think you'd be super excited to see how your generosity is at work. Mariner's Oceanside, we're talking about new partnerships to serve military members at Camp Pendleton and so excited about that. And then at Mariner's Santa Ana, I learned this. I, I just, I'm, I should already know I'm the senior pastor, but I, I just found out last Monday that a thousand individuals every single week are served at Mariner's Santa Ana through the food pantry and the foster care clothes closet that we have. A thousand individuals served every week. All of that happens because of your generosity to your church. I mean, I was so excited, so my heart is so thrilled to see how at all of these congregations, we're stepping in and serving our local communities. And so Mariners Online, thank you for being a part. Next weekend, I'm gonna share some more about some exciting things we're gonna be doing in Southern California to serve the people that God has placed around us. So next weekend's gonna be really fun. We're gonna share some new information, some basically some new vision of some new ways that we're gonna serve people. So I encourage you to, to be ready and prayerful about next weekend. Okay, let's jump into wrapping up our teaching series on big problems, bigger God. If you are a parent, you've heard this when I was a teenager, I said this every summer, teenagers will say, God, I'm so, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. I said it and I heard my kids say it. And when I was a kid, a teenager saying that I was bored, my parents, they, they were flabbergasted. They couldn't believe it because I had so many more things to do when I was a teenager than they had to do when they were teenagers. I mean, they didn't have much to do, but I had a, a Nintendo. I mean, I had four games I could play on the Nintendo. I could go outside and play basketball, or they would say, go play in the swamp. Actually, they would say that. In the South Louisiana, you could go play in the swamp by our house. There was lots of things for me to do. And so when I said I was bored, they would just throw out all the options of things I could participate in. Kay's dad, my wife's dad, was, was much more um, sharp with his feedback towards Kay and her siblings when they said that they were bored as kids or as teenagers. Kay says they said it one time. One time they said, dad, we're bored. And Mr. Billy, my father-in-law, he said, if you're bored, it's because you're boring. It's your fault if you're bored. The next morning they woke up and Mr. Billy, they lived on a farm. He had gone and, and put a bunch of corn stalks into the back of his truck, backed the truck up to the house and said, because you said you're bored, here's what you get to do today. He handed each one of them a toothbrush to clean by hand all of the corn stalks that were in the back of the pickup truck. Never again did they say that they were bored. Bored, I'm so bored. I'm so bored. Perhaps you've said that yourself, not only as a teenager, but at other phases in your life. 
And the reason that parents get rightly concerned when adolescents say that they are bored is because we know that boredom often leads to a bunch of bad decisions. Not only does it lead to just an apathetic approach to life, but it can actually impact our decision-making. Every couple years, there's a major news story about teenagers doing something ridiculous just because they were bored. This was from last year. Four teenage girls arrested. They set a house on fire when the officials or the police authorities asked them, why'd you do it? Why'd you set a house on fire? Their only answer is we were bored. Now, that's the extreme example. Most of the time, our boredom doesn't lead to setting houses on fire. But our boredom, when we are bored, can lead to a myriad of poor decisions, and it can cause us to live lives that are just mundane. Boredom is not a small problem. Boredom is a big problem because it leads to a life that feels like it has no meaning, and it leads to a lot of poor decisions in our life. I remember several years ago when I was pastoring in Miami, I sat across from an older gentleman in the church over lunch who I really respected. And we had developed a relationship. So at this point in our relationship, I felt comfortable asking him some really deep questions about a dark period that he faced in his life. So he was very public that at an earlier phase in his life, he committed adultery, against his wife, had an affair. By God's grace, God restored the marriage. They were in a beautiful place, a healthy place. But after getting to know him over several years, I felt I could ask him these questions and I was really curious. I sat across the table and I said, man, what was going on in your, in your soul when you made, went down that path, made the decision that I know brought a lot of pain into your life and that you deeply Regret. I'm so grateful that you've turned from that season, but, but what was going on in your, in your heart? I was expecting him to say, man, my marriage was, was really rocky and it was, had been rocky for a long time and that was just the conclusion of a rocky marriage. It's not what he said. I was thinking maybe he would say something like, man, that was just one of the dark secrets that I had. I had, I had wandered away from God so far, and and there was a plethora of things in my life that were not right. And that was just the one that came to the surface. I, I expected something like that. What he said really surprised me. He said, man, I was just bored. Bored. I, I was bored. I was bored with my career. I didn't feel like anything new was happening. I was bored with my job. I was bored with my house. I was bored with my neighborhood. I was bored with the homeowners association meetings, which everybody gets that. But I was bored with with everything in my life and I was looking for something thrilling, boredom. See, if you are bored, if we are bored, it can cause us to look for something else often things that bring damage into our lives. Boredom is a big problem. Now, people debate whether we are more bored now than previous generations, or if we've always been a bored people, and the new toys and technology of this generation just expose our boredom. So group A says, hey, humanity's always been bored, 
Everybody's um, always struggled with boredom and group B says, no, um, we are more bored. Actually, we are a more bored group of people. The technology, the toys, all of the things, those things turn out not to quench us. So we are even more bored. Group A says, nah, we've always been bored. The toys and the technology, they just show how bored we are because they bring to the surface that even those things aren't enough to give us thrills in our life. But both groups agree we are a bored society. Comedians even poke fun at us for our proclivity to just stay bored. Uh, it's a common bit from comedians that it used to take you years in an open carriage risking your life to go from New York City to LA, to cross the entire United States of America. It could take you years. And now you can do it in five hours. And on the five-hour flight, you can be on Wi-Fi and you can recline. You can, you, you're in the sky in a recliner. But instead of being thrilled and in awe that I am 34,000 feet above sea level in a recliner on Wi-Fi, we complain that the recliner doesn't go back far enough or that the Wi-Fi isn't fast enough. We are just bored. Now, <clears throat> philosophers such as Blaise Pascal would say to those, com to those comedians, of course we're bored. Did you really think that a recliner 34,000 feet above sea level would be enough to satisfy you? D did you really think that that reducing the amount of time it takes to travel from the East Coast to the West Coast down to five hours, did you really think that would be enough to quench your soul? Of course, we still struggle with boredom because all of those things, no matter what we invent, no matter what new technology or new toy comes to us this Christmas season, it won't be enough to thrill our soul. Blaise Pascal, famous philosopher, he said this, all man's troubles <clears throat> come from not knowing how to sit still in one room. He basically says, and boredom can lead to a whole bunch of other problems. And here's the, the root of the problem. We are restless and we are bored. We can't sit still, whether 34,000 feet above sea level, on a transatlantic flight, or in a room by ourselves. We wrestle with not having our souls thrilled with all of the things that we thought would thrill us. Pascal went on to say this, all our life passes in this way. We seek rest by struggling against certain obstacles. And once they are overcome, rest proves intolerable because of the boredom that it produces. Mm. Here's what he's saying. We think, man, I'm gonna conquer and get that career and then we get it and we're bored with it. Or I'm gonna fight really hard to get this position on the high school team and we get it and we're bored with it. Or I'm gonna fight really hard for this possession and we get it and we're bored with it and it actually doesn't produce rest. So Pascal would say to the comedians, of course the flight is not enough. Nothing here is enough to alleviate our boredom. So boredom is a problem. It leads to bigger problems in our life. But how do we solve it? 
If none of those things are enough to alleviate our boredom, if, if my parents are looking at me saying, you've got a Nintendo, we didn't have a Nintendo, how's that not enough for you? If, if I now look at my kids and say, what, look at all the games you have, how's that not enough for you? None of those things are enough. So, so what's the answer? C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. If you find yourself bored, it's actually good if you realize you're bored because then you're alerted to the reality that you are made for something much more. See, the way you fight boredom, everybody would agree with this, is awe. You fight being bored with being filled with awe and amazement for something but the things here are never enough to fill our hearts continually with awe and amazement. So where else can we look? Some really good news today. I want to show you a verse or a, a passage in Romans chapter 11. And here is the other world that you are created for. You're, you're, you're not created for the things of this world. They will not be enough for you. They won't cure your boredom. You were created for the God of this world who is enough for you. The end of Romans 11, it ends with this glory statement, this doxology, this wow, God is amazing statement. And it's gonna remind us that he's the only one who can cure us of our boredom. Now. If you're new to studying the Bible, Romans is an amazing book. We're at the end of Romans 11. The first 11 chapters of Romans tell basically the grand story of the Bible, that God created everything, he's holy and pure. We have all fallen short of his holiness and purity. We've all gone our own way. We've sinned against him. But because God loves us so much, God the Father sends God the Son Jesus to this world for us to take our sin upon himself as he dies for us. And if we believe in him, there's no condemnation for us because now we have the mercy of God over our lives. So the apostle Paul who wrote Romans spends 11 chapters unpacking the, the magnificent news of Jesus, the glory of the story of Jesus coming here to rescue us. And he gets to the end of chapter 11 and he, he essentially puts down his pen and he just says, wow. This is amazing. What Jesus Christ has done for us is amazing. This is how he ends Romans 11. The subscript in your Bible might say doxology, which is the glory statement, or it might say a hymn of praise. But this is the apostle Paul just saying, man, everything I've written about the grace of God, wow. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor and who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. This is where we find our ultimate awe. 
This is the cure for your boredom, understanding how amazing he is. Now, I wanna walk you through these verses really quickly. So look at, at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Oh, the depth of his wisdom that we can't trace his ways, that we can't figure God out. Now, theologians, scholars will say that God can be truly known by you, but not fully known by you. Meaning you can truly know God. I mean, you can know God because of what Jesus Christ did for you by dying for your sin on the cross. You can know God truly, but not in this world fully, because of our finite minds, we cannot grasp the infinite wisdom of God. His paths are untraceable. There's things about God we, in our fugility, fertility, ah, our fugility, what am I saying right now? Our fragility, thank you very much. Us and our fragility, we can't figure out the mind of God. We can't trace his paths. We can't fully understand everything that he does. There's been times in my life where this has frustrated me because I, I wanna know all I can know about God. I really do. I, I love him. I wanna know more and more about him. And sometimes I can't, I can't understand something that I read in scripture or I can't understand why he did this or why he doesn't do that. And I shared with a mentor one time that like this verse, I can't trace his paths. I, I wanna trace his paths. I wanna understand him fully. And my mentor said to me, Eric, do you really want a God? Do you really want a God that you can fully understand? Because if you have a God you can fully understand, he's on your level. And I, it was a light bulb moment for me. I realized in that moment, that if I had a God who I could fully trace all of his past, he would not be big enough to quench my soul. He would not be big enough to save me from my sin. He would not be big enough to answer my prayers. I am grateful that our God is bigger than we could ever fathom or imagine. How untraceable his ways. Oh, the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Look at, look at verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Have you ever been his counselor? Has God ever showed up at your house, knocked on the door and said, hey, I, I really need some advice from you on how to run the world. I, I'm, I'm, uh, this, this whole inflation thing in 2022 has, has caught me off guard. And I just wanna know your wisdom on how to operate the world. No, of course not. None of us have ever been his counselor. He knows all, is above all. He's never asked for directions. He's never Googled anything. He's never been caught off guard. He has never read a book. He's never learned anything. He is the source of all truth and wisdom. Oh, the depth of the wisdom of God. Look at the next verse, verse 35. And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? Who's ever given to God? See, the message that the Apostle Paul has written so far in the first 11 chapters of Romans is, God paid fully for you. The only thing that you brought to the table for you to be forgiven by God 
is the sin that needed to be forgiven. God paid the full price to make you his son, his daughter. When Jesus, the Messiah, was placed on the cross in your place, he paid the full price. We brought nothing to the table but our sin and our shame, which he graciously took from us. We have not put God in our debt. God is the one who paid fully for us to be his sons and his daughters. And then verse 36, this is beautiful. For from him and through him and to him are all things. So from him, through him, to him, from him. For from him are all things. This verse really sets us the understanding that God is the creator and everything else is created. So even Satan, the demons created by God, not equal with God, God is the ruler over all. He's the creator, everything else is created. The good things we enjoy in this life created by him. The music we love to listen to, the food that we love to taste, the relationships that we enjoy, the hobbies that give us joy during the week, all of those things created by God. He's the creator, from him are all things. Those are good things, some not good, some good. But even the good things aren't him, they're created. And if we look to the created things to give our all, our amazement to, those things will never be enough to quench us. They will leave us bored for from him are all things. And so the apostle Paul is giving the glory statement about God, he's the only one who can hold your all. The other things can't hold your all. They will disappoint you. He will not. For from him are all things. Through him are all things. He's the sustainer right now of your life. The blood is flowing through your body, your circulatory system, because he holds it all together. The sun is the exact distance it needs to be from the earth, so in a moment, we don't disintegrate. God is holding everything together. He sustains all of it. From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him are all things. Now, this is Romans 11. The apostle Paul, again, has written about the grace of God and how we become sons and daughters of God. And he's reminding us that God rescued you for God. You were saved by God for God. You were rescued by him ultimately for him so that you would realize how amazing he is, how awesome he is. You were not rescued and forgiven by God so that you would say of yourself, boom, man, look how awesome I am but God is awesome, God is great. God is the one who has saved me, rescued me, forgiven me, been good to me, gracious to me. God has rescued us for his own glory. And this is good for us because when we give him glory, that's when we are ultimately quenched and satisfied. So this is a major statement about God being the only one who is worthy of our amazement and therefore he quenches our boredom. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote this in, uh, many scholars believe, 55 AD, all right? And, And this is Romans. We just read from the book of Romans, which means he wrote this to people living in Rome, all right? Romans written to people living in Rome. 
He wrote this in 55 AD. A hundred years later, there was a Roman emperor, very famous, named Marcus Aurelius. And he wrote a statement that some historians believe he was actually attacking what the apostle Paul wrote. That, that he was saying, no, no, Paul got it wrong. Now, other historians say, no, nah, it's just coincidence, but I want you to see how similar and yet how different a Roman emperor wrote compared to what the apostle Paul wrote. So here's what Marcus Aurelius wrote. He said, nature. So again, we have creator and we have created things. Marcus Aurelius says, nature, all things come of you, have their being in you, and return to you. He's saying basically everything comes from you nature, is sustained by you nature, and goes back to you nature. Remember what the apostle Paul said, no, God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. See, those are two very different ways to live. And and even today, you think one of those two statements is true. Let's keep it up on the screen for a moment. You, you think one of these two statements is true. You, you this week are gonna live one of these two statements. You're either gonna live believing that nature or created things, your job, uh, the sunset, the relationship, your goal, that that's the ultimate thing, nature, that everything in your life comes from that, that, that is what gives you meaning and Everything in your life is really about that. That's how you'll live this week. Or you'll live and believe what the Apostle Paul said. No, all of the things I have, they are blessings, but they're not the ultimate thing. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now, obviously, as a Christian, I believe and I invite you to believe what the Apostle Paul wrote to be beautiful and true. But what I also want you to see is that living for the created things, thinking like Marcus Aurelius thought, that there isn't a God who rules and reigns over all, but that all there is is the created things, that all there is is nature, that that's actually the boring way to live. That if you wanna be bored, live that way. Now, now how, how how would I say that? Because in Marcus Aurelius's famous meditations, that's where he wrote that statement, He also has this hypothetical conversation with himself about how to get out of bed in the morning. Like, how do you motivate yourself to not be bored? How do you motivate yourself to to actually wanna live tomorrow? So Marcus Aurelius has this hypothetical conversation and he's saying, hey, I wanna stay in bed. It's so comfortable here. It's so nice here. And this is how he gives himself a pep talk to actually get out of bed. Here's what he says. So you were born to feel nice, nice and then comfortable in that bed. Is that what you were born to feel? Instead of doing things and experiencing them, don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants, the spiders and the bees going about their individual tasks, putting the world in order as best they can? He says, hey, look at the birds. They by duty are putting the world together and you're not willing to do your job as a human being why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? So Aurelius thinks nature is ultimate and the way he motivates you and himself to get out of bed is with duty. It's your duty. It's your duty. Now, living with a sense of honor 
and duty is an honorable way to live, but if all you have is duty, this is a boring way to live. The only reason you get out of bed if nature is ultimate is because you owe with your duty because you look at the birds and you see them being dutiful, so you must be dutiful too. What a boring way to live. But see, God offers you much more than getting out of bed just because of duty. See, if God is your ultimate, if you are filled with awe and amazement for Him, He invites you to delight in Him and you get out of bed, not with a sense only of duty, but you get out of bed with a sense of delight that the God of the universe has loved me and set His affection on me and from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And I get to live this day with a sense of delight that I get to know Him more. I get to see Him at work in my life. Yes, I appreciate duty, but man, what a boring way to live. Delight, you get to delight yourself in God because he first delighted himself in you and rescued you and made him, made you his son, his daughter forever. See, Marcus Aurelius says, hey, look at the birds. They're dutiful, you be dutiful too. Jesus also said, look at the birds. But he didn't say, look at the birds and have a sense of duty like them. He said, look at the birds. Your heavenly father feeds them. Your heavenly father is gonna feed you too. Be filled with all that your heavenly father takes care of them and your heavenly father loves you more than he loves them. Both Marcus Aurelius and Jesus say, look at the birds. One says, look at the birds and be filled with duty. Jesus says, look at the birds and be filled with delight that you have an amazing father and from him and through him and to him are all things. So. How do you fight boredom? You fight apathy for creation, apathy for your job, apathy for your relationships, apathy for your dead end career, apathy for your day feels boring, apathy for a boring calendar this week. You fight apathy for creation with all for the creator. The way to fight boredom, the way to fight apathy is with all. All will attack the apathy in your life. A couple of years ago, I had a really deep conversation with my daughters. It was after Christmas and, and my older daughter had, had said, dad, if I get this for Christmas, I'll never ask for anything again. <laughs> and then a couple months after Christmas, she's asking for something again. And so I pointed out, hey, look at these toys. This is when she was really young. Look at these toys. They've not been enough for you. You've thought every time that if you get this, you'll never be bored again. That if you get this, your soul will be satisfied. I just want you to see they're not enough. And as sweet as she can be, she said it so kindly. She said, Daddy, is it good? Is it bad that they're not enough for me? And I looked at her and said, no, listen at me. Look at me, baby, look at me. This is so good for you to know that these are not enough for you. God is being so good to you for you to realize that these will not be enough to quench your soul because only he is. And we fight apathy for created things with all for the creator. So if you're at a point in your life where you're realizing 
man, my job's not enough for me. This is really good. My relationship's not enough for me. The possession I got that I thought would quench, not enough for me. If you're realizing that those are not enough for you, you are in a really, really good spot because God is pulling you to himself, grabbing you by the cheeks like I did my daughter and saying, look up to me, look up to me because I'm the one who will quench your soul. All for me is what will alleviate your boredom. All for me is what will quench your soul. The created things that I give you, gifts from me, but not enough for you. Only he is enough. Will you read this with me? Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, amen. All right, extend your hands please and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can click the link in the show notes or download the Mariner's app at your favorite app store. If you've been navigating God's wisdom with us through this year's annual read and would like to hear personal reflections from pastors in your community, check out the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that will change your life. If you haven't picked up the annual read yet, visit marinerschurch.org or download the Mariners app for more information on where to find it.